Welcome to Understanding Christianity. I am your host. I'm Pastor Sean Cole. I serve as the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct instructor of Old and New Testament and Biblical Interpretation at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We've been getting a lot of snow here in northeastern Colorado. It seems like we have one blizzard after another that dumps about a foot of snow. And so um, it's been pretty crazy. It's been one of the craziest winters that we've had up here in northeastern Colorado. So hopefully where you are, you're enjoying your winter and that the Lord is growing you in grace and that you're involved in a church or a ministry that preaches the gospel and holds true to God's inerrant word. I want to do a little bit of a follow-up because in my last podcast on Arminius, Wesley, and Spurgeon on provisionism, I said that I would address another topic related to provisionism in regard to Eastern Orthodox theology. Now, I want to go back, and in case you missed that previous podcast, I, I want to bring this up because I think it was very interesting. Um, I was doing a, reading a book by an Arminian scholar, uh, W. Brian Shelton. Uh, w. Brian Shelton <coughs> is professor of theology and the chair of Christian studies and philosophy at Asbury University in Kentucky. And so he is a Arminian scholar who is a modern scholar and uh, holds to traditional classic Arminian theology. And he wrote a book called Prevenient Grace, God's Provision for Fallen Humanity, Prevenient Grace. And it's, it's an interesting book that lays forth what Arminians, classical Arminians, believe about prevenient grace and the nature of grace. And again, I've said this over and over again, provisionism, what Leighton Flowers and others hold to, is not Arminianism and obviously it's not Calvinism, it's its own theology. But Calvinism and Arminianism start at the same place. We both affirm total depravity and total inability, and both affirm the need for some type of prevenient, supernatural, internal grace that operates on the soul through the Holy Spirit to mitigate or overcome the effects of total inability. And so this is what he wrote in this book, Prevenient Grace, from an Arminian. He asked the question, what is prevenient grace? It is a belief that God enables all people to exercise saving faith in Christ by mitigating the effects of sinful depravity. Now, we would agree with that statement, but the nature of the grace is different. So he asked the second question, why is it necessary? And this is his answer. Original sin prevents us from doing spiritually good acts, such as recognizing our need for a Savior, repenting of our sins, and believing in Christ. The result is that no one can ever repent without God's assistance. Now, we would agree with this statement. Original sin, or total depravity, or total inability, or bondage in sin, or being dead in sin, prevents us from doing any spiritual good. And notice what this Arminian says. The spiritual good that we cannot do in our depraved state is even recognize our need for a Savior. We don't even know that we need salvation, and we can't repent, and we can't believe without God's assistance. We would agree with that. Where the difference is, is what type of assistance or what type of grace is that? So, we both believe in God's internal, supernatural grace, 
that either assists or mitigates or overcomes total inability. Both Calvinists and Arminians agree that we're dead in sin and that without this grace, we cannot recognize our need for Jesus, we cannot repent, and we cannot believe. Now, what's the difference between Arminianism and Calvinism? Well, the difference in this aspect is that Arminians believe that this grace, the supernatural assisting grace, is given to all people, not just limited to the elect, and that this grace can be resisted. You can cooperate with this grace or you can resist this grace. Now, we believe that this grace is needed, and what we believe is that this grace is supernatural, it's regenerative, it's powerful, and it's given only to the elect, only to those whom God has chosen before the foundation of the world, and it cannot be resisted, but it does actually overcome total depravity, total inability, and grants the gifts of repentance and faith so that all whom God has chosen will in fact infallibly come to faith in Christ. And it's interesting that in this book on prevenient grace, he lists two modern-day alternatives to classical Arminianism. And I want you to listen to what the two alternatives he presents. He does not address provisionism because I'm not sure if he's familiar with that or if the book uh, purpose was that. Maybe, maybe um, in his Arminian circles he's not familiar with provisionism. But this is what he said. He said, number one, the alternative number one is that God predestines some to repent and leaves others unable to respond to the preached gospel due to their spiritual inability, as in the Reformed tradition. Okay, that's us. That's Reformed theology. That's Calvinism. That's the one alternative he presents to Arminianism, which most people are familiar with. Arminianism, Calvinism. But notice the second alternative he gives. And this is where I want to focus this podcast on today. The second alternative to classical Arminianism is this. He states, all people are partially affected by original sin so that they can repent of their own ability naturally as in the orthodox tradition or eastern orthodox. Now notice the statement he says there. There's a partial affecting of original sin that doesn't render people totally unable to repent and believe. People can repent of their own ability naturally. Now, in his book on Arminianism, he addresses Pelagianism, obviously as a heresy, and then he gives the, the three alternatives to understanding total depravity. Again, he gives the three views, or the three alternatives. What he's arguing for, classical Arminianism, Wesleyanism, prevenient grace, conditional foresight, election. Second alternative view out there, Reformed theology. But the third one is Eastern Orthodoxy, which he labels as semi-Pelagian. So here we have it again, semi-Pelagianism. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you some quotations from reputable historians on semi-Pelagianism, on Eastern Orthodoxy and things of that nature and let you make the determination if these statements sound very similar to the theology of provisionism in regard to the nature of grace. Now let's just review. If you're new to the podcast, we want to accurately portray provisionism. We try really hard. Provisionists contact me and say thank you, Sean, for accurately presenting our view. 
I don't always get it right, but I try to. And uh, so let's just, let's just restate or state what the provisionism view is on grace, the nature of grace, what is sufficient. So for provisionists, the presentation of the gospel is the only grace necessary to enable a free response. They deny total inability. They believe that when presented the gospel, a sinner, while fallen, while partially affected by original sin, still retains the ability to respond. They are responsible. They can respond to the gospel appeal when it is presented because humans still have libertarian free will. And so the presentation of the gospel is the grace. There is no need for an internal, direct work of the Holy Spirit on the soul to assist, as in Arminianism, or to regenerate fully, as in Calvinism, a sinner, so they come to faith. So they would say that there is the Holy Spirit-empowered grace, but that Holy Spirit-empowered grace is the gospel, the presentation of the gospel, not an internal mysterious supernatural work directly in the heart and soul of a lost person so let me just give you a quote from Leighton Flowers he would say in addressing both Arminians and Calvinists so Leighton addresses both of these and he interacts predominantly with Calvinists but if you go back and listen to some of his YouTube clips he does have some interactions with Roger Olson who again is another uh, modern Arminian scholar who difference who, who differentiates Arminian theology from provisionism so Leighton Flowers would say the Arminian and the Calvinist must show in scripture where it plainly says that an extra or additional supernatural work of grace must accompany or precede the gracious revelation of the gospel appeal and then this is what Leighton says I argue The gospel is always sufficient to enable the lost sinner to believe because it is a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, what they would say, Leighton and others, is that we as Calvinists and we as Arminians impose this extra or additional work of grace on top of the the necessary grace or the sufficient grace. And what's that sufficient grace? It's the gospel presentation. When you present the gospel, the facts of the gospel, that is the grace. That is sufficient. There is no need for an extra or what he would call mystical or an additional work of grace that needs to go into the heart. Now again, in our Reformed theology and our confessions, we believe in word and spirit. Yes, there has to be the external call of the gospel, the preaching of the word, the gospel appeal. But in addition to that, and in conjunction with that, the Holy Spirit does a work to come into the hearts of the elect to bring about regeneration, to do the effectual call that brings a sinner to salvation completely. That they do repent and they do re- believe because those gifts have been given to them in regeneration and the effectual call. Provisionists deny any type of effectual call or supernatural call or any type of internal call. They call that extra or additional or mystical. And so it goes back to their view on total inability, and it makes sense logically and theologically for provisionism. If you deny total inability, then logically and theologically, you're going to deny a need for any type of 
effectual or internal or supernatural call because sinners don't need that. All you need is the gospel appeal. If you're not totally dead in sin and you can respond and you're not totally unable to come to faith in Christ, then all you need is just the information of the gospel. The inability was that you never heard it before. Once you hear it, you have the ability to repent and believe naturally. And that is grace. That is assisting grace. It's the gospel appeal. Now, let me just give you another quote from Leighton Flowers on total inability. He says, Calvinist and Arminians have the, quote, presumption that bondage to sin is equal to being unable to believe in God. But where is that established in the Bible? It seems to me that Scripture calls those bound to sin to humbly confess their bondage in faith so as to be set free, not the other way around. So he says that bondage to sin, in our view, does not equate being unable to believe in God. Just because we're in bondage to sin doesn't mean that we can't recognize our need, that we can't cry out for help, that we don't um, understand that we're in bondage, and we, and we ask for assistance to be set free from that bondage. He would say we conflate the two. We, we basically take the next step and say bondage to sin does not mean that we are unable to believe in God. Now, I don't have time to go into this because I've dealt with it on many podcasts before, but John six forty four: no man can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father, or unless the Father draws him. We have Romans chapter 8 that talks about that the mind of flesh is, is hostile to God. It cannot submit to God's law. We, we understand that total inability means that you can't even recognize your need because you are in bondage. You are blinded. You're hostile to God. You have a heart of stone, not a heart of flesh. And that means that you cannot see the kingdom of God. You don't understand your need. You cannot cry out for help because you are in bondage to sin. Now, I've been reading a book that has come out called Calvinism, A Biblical and Theological Critique. Now, this is a uh, compendium of articles or chapters, and it's edited by David Allen and Steve Lemke. And it deals with Calvinism, and these are provisionists. These are predominantly Southern Baptists. There's a few Arminians in the mix. But it's basically a bunch of modern-day scholars, predominantly Southern Baptists. It's put out by Brodman and Holman Academic, which is the Southern Baptist Publishing House, to address the problems with Calvinism. And in the first chapter, which is by... Adam Harwood, he cl- the, the first chapter is a, quote, a critique of total depravity. So it's a critique of total depravity. He deals with original sin, original guilt, goes into the history of that, shows how uh, predominantly uh, in Baptist history there's been a lot of um, different, differing views. And it's interesting as, as far as, as the historical aspect of it. But I want to show you how he closes this chapter. He makes a statement. And I want to read the statement, and then I want to uh, address the statement. So this is by Adam Harwood in the critique of total depravity in the book Calvinism, a biblical and theological critique. So he says this, quote, the command to repent implies that people are able to repent. It would be unjust for God to command a task and then judge people who could not comply for failing to do that which he commanded. God, who desires the salvation of every person and commands every person to repent and believe, in Jesus, draws every person to himself. Now, I want to make a statement here. Now, I'm not accusing Adam Harwood of this, but I'm going to interact with the statement and the argument that he made. 
This is the same argument that Pelagius gave. Did you hear the argument? Did you hear the assertion? The command to repent implies that people are able to repent. It would be unjust for God to command a task and then judge people who could not comply for failing to do that which he commanded. That is Pelagius' argument against Augustine. Remember, in Augustine's Confessions, that famous statement, grant what you will, that you command, command what you will and grant what you command. And basically what Augustine is saying is that you give commands, I cannot follow those commands, so you have to give me the grace to be able to fulfill those commands. And, uh, and Pelagius came along and said, wait a minute, if there are commands in the Bible, the assumption is we can fulfill those commands. Because why would God give us commands knowing we cannot fulfill those commands? And if we cannot fulfill those commands, how can God hold us accountable and judge us for doing something that he told us to do that we don't have the ability to do? That, that's the Pelagius, that's Pelagianism. That's the argument. Now, I'm not saying that Adam Harwood is a Pelagian. I'm not saying he's semi-Pelagian. What I'm saying is, is that the statement that he made in this book in print is the same argument that Pelagius gave. Now, what I want to do here is I want to deal with some documents and some, some books and some statements by some modern-day reputable historians. J.N.D. Kelly has written probably one of the most famous modern-day books on the early church fathers. It's called Early Christian Doctrines. And J.N.D. Kelly is the principal of St. Edmund Hall in Oxford, England. And he is recognized internationally as the authority on patristic theology or the theology of the early church fathers. So if you want to go find out from a reputable historian, Kelly's book is the, the gold standard. Now, he is not strongly Calvinistic. He is an Anglican. He's from the Church of England. But he is a great historian, and many people go to his book to get um, good history on the early church fathers. So this is from his book, Early Christian Doctrines, and this is from page uh, 359. And he's talking about Pelagianism and Pelagius. So let me just give you a quote from a reputable modern-day historian who, um, who's given us this book, Early Christian Doctrines. Quote, Pelagius resisted the suggestion that there can be any special pressure on man's will to choose the good. In effect, this means the limited of grace to such purely external aids as God has provided. No room is left for any special interior action of God upon the soul. Now, let me just address that quote. He, as a, an expert in early church fathers, is interacting with the works of Pelagius. And he's saying Pelagius basically said that there is no internal supernatural action of God on the soul. That what grace is, is merely external aids that God has provided. External aids. AIDS, external assistance, nothing supernatural that goes inward. Okay, then what are those external aids that Pelagius says God has given in his grace? 
Because Pelagius is not going to deny grace. He believed there was grace. It just was, it wasn't irresistible grace. It wasn't supernatural grace. It wasn't grace that came upon the soul. It wasn't something the Holy Spirit did internally. It was merely an external aid that God had given. And once that external aid comes, people naturally, because there is no original sin, they can choose to, with their libertarian free will, cooperate or believe those external aids. And so what are the external aids? Well, let's listen to what Kelly says Pelagius defined as grace or these external grace aids. He says this, quote, The revelation through reason and God's law instructing us on what we should do in holding out eternal sanctions, thus grace on this view is a grace of knowledge. A grace of knowledge. Now, I am not accusing Leighton Flowers or Provisionists of being Pelagian. What I'm merely doing is saying one of the most prolific and reputable scholars on early church fathers, J.N.D. Kelly, has told us what Pelagianism is And it sounds very similar to what the provisionists are arguing. All you need is the grace of knowledge. Once the gospel appeal comes to you as an external aid, it is grace, it is from the Holy Spirit, but it's merely external. It tells you what you should know, what you should believe. And once that external aid comes to you, you have the libertarian free will to accept that you are able to respond freely. There is no room left for any spiritual, internal, additional, mystical, extra action of God upon the soul. That's what Pelagius said. Now, I quoted Leighton Flowers earlier, and that's what he said. So whether he knows it or not, and whether these provisionists know it or not, they are giving some of the same arguments that Pelagius gave in his time against Augustine. Again, I'm not accusing Adam Harwood. I'm not accusing Leighton Flowers. I'm not accusing provisionists of being Pelagian. What I'm saying is some of the statements that they are making in print are echoing the exact same arguments that Pelagius gave when he was writing during his time. So that was from J.N.D. Kelly from his book, Early Christian Doctrines. Now, the next person I give credit to is my friend. So I have a friend named Caleb, and this is an interesting thing about Caleb. I've known Caleb since he was in uh, fifth grade. When I was a youth pastor in Colorado Springs, I was his youth pastor took him all the way through when he graduated from high school. And then after he graduated from high school is when um, our family made the transition from Colorado Springs to where we are now in Sterling, Colorado, where I became the lead pastor. And so um, been in contact with Caleb. I performed the wedding between him and his wife. Uh, he is now a Ph.D. student at Southern Seminary working on church history in the patristics in the early church fathers he is fluent in the language of russian and he and i have had conversations about this and he said hey have you ever heard of a guy named pseudo macarius 
And I'm like, I have never heard of Pseudo-Macarius. Who in the world is Pseudo-Macarius? And so he said, you may want to go look at him because he is a kind of an outgrowth of Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism. He's kind of the forerunner to Eastern Orthodoxy. And I said, okay, let me, I'm not going to do a lot of research. So he gave me some, some information and, and, and told me about Pseudo-Macarius. Now, the reason that's why it's called Pseudo-Macarius is it's because it's an anonymous author. We really don't know who the author is. Um, but he wrote the 50 spiritual homilies. And these homilies or these sermons that he wrote, these 50 sermons, have, have been widespread, and they have really made an influence on Eastern Orthodox or Eastern monasticism and um, on a lot of interesting things on modern-day Protestant pietism, especially when you think of John Wesley. John Wesley was influenced by Pseudo-Macarius, um, also some modern-day um, charismatics, uh, the, the, the word faith movement, some of the things that Macarius talked about related to the Holy Spirit, modern-day charismatics are, are interested in. But anyway, um, in these 50 spiritual homilies, Pseudo-Macarius um, defines for us a lot of information that would be what we would say is modern-day provisionism. And so l- let me just give you something from homily 27. Again, this is going into the weeds. I'd never heard of Pseudo-Macarius, but um, my friend said, hey, he, he was a great influence on Eastern Orthodoxy, on Eastern thought, and, and on John Wesley and on modern-day um, charismatics. So I said, okay, I got I to gotta check this out. So I went and, and, I, and I got a copy of the, uh, on online of uh, the 50 homilies of Pseudo-Macarius. And so let me just read to you from homily 27 and see if this sounds like Semi-Pelagianism, see what it sounds like. It sounds like provisionism. Let's just go from homily 27 with Pseudo-Macarius. It says this. Grace permits persons to have the use of their will and power to do what they choose and to turn in which direction they like. All human nature, which is weak, has power to turn, even when good is present with it. Nature is liable to change, and a man can, if he pleases, become a son of God or a son of perdition. His freedom of will remains. Now, notice that he does not deny grace. Again, provisionists don't deny grace. Pelagians don't deny grace. Semi-Pelagians don't deny grace. Arminians don't deny grace. Calvinists don't deny grace. You've got to have grace if you're going to be biblical. It's not... Is grace necessary in the salvation of a sinner? It's what's the nature of the grace? What kind of grace is it? Is it merely an external aid? Or is it a prevenient grace that goes internally to the soul that can be resisted? Or is it a sovereign work of God that brings a sinner fully to salvation? It's it's the nature of grace. So in homily 27, he says, hey, I'm going to tell you what grace is. Grace is the ability to use your free will to choose whether you want to become a son of God or you want to become a son of perdition. You have the power to choose. You have libertarian free will. This is, again, what provisionists would say. You're impacted by the fall. You're impaired by the fall but you're not totally dead in sins to where you cannot admit that you need a Savior. You cannot repent and believe. You have that natural ability, that libertarian free will, and when external grace is presented to you through the gospel appeal, that is sufficient to enable a positive response. Okay, now let's talk about modern-day 
Eastern Orthodoxy. Because remember, in that book on Provenian Grace by um, a modern-day Arminian, he said that the other alternative to Arminianism besides Calvinism is Eastern Orthodoxy, which he labels as semi-Pelagianism. So, Timothy Ware. He was born Timothy Ware. Or he goes by Callistos Ware, and, and he died actually back in August of last year. But he is an English bishop who then became the prominent modern-day theologian of the Eastern Orthodox Church. So he, Timothy Ware, or Callistos Ware, he is the modern-day theologian of Eastern Orthodoxy. And so from 1966 to 2001, uh, he was a lecturer at Oxford University on Eastern Orthodoxy. He wrote the book called The Orthodox Church. And so I got the book, and, and my, f- my friend Caleb said, hey, you, if you want to know about Eastern Orthodoxy, get Timothy Ware's books, The Orthodox Church. So I got that book just to see. I'm not familiar with Eastern Orthodoxy. My friend Caleb is, but I, I, I'm just interested in Eastern Orthodoxy now because a lot of people are uh, Hank Hanegraaff. Yeah, Hank Hanegraaff has been dabbling with Eastern Orthodoxy. Even Francis Chan has been um, dabbling in that. And, and this Arminian scholar says that you know, modern-day Eastern Orthodoxy is, a, is an alternative to Arminianism, and it's semi-Pelagian. So, okay, let's go to a, a modern-day source and find out what is the best uh, definition of Eastern Orthodoxy when it comes to this issue of, is it semi-Pelagianism? What, what does it sound like? So let me give you some quotes from this book, The Orthodox Church, by Timothy Ware. This is from page 215. He says this, quote, The Orthodox Church rejects any doctrine of grace which might seem to infringe upon human freedom. That's a pretty clear statement. They reject any doctrine of grace that's going to infringe upon human freedom. Now, he quotes from early church fathers in the Eastern tradition. So, some of the the Antiochian church fathers and some of the ones in the Eastern tradition of uh, of the patristics. So again, we're going back to the patristics. We're going back to the early church fathers around the time of Augustine and Pelagius and those contemporaries in the 300s, 400s, 500s in early church history. So he, he quotes from John Chrysostom. And John Chrysostom, the quote he gives from John Chrysostom is, quote, God never draws anyone to himself by force and violence. He wishes all people to, to be saved, but forces no one. Now, we would quibble with John Chrysostom and say, we as Calvinists don't believe God forces anyone by violence to come to faith. What we believe is that God supernaturally draws sinners and liberates their wills that are in bondage so that they will come, but because before, when they're in bondage to sin, they don't want to come and they cannot come. They lack the desire to come and they lack the power to come, and so God must do something, and it's sweet, it's effective, it's effectual, it's internal. He overcomes that deadness and grants the desire and the ability to come. It's not by force, it's not done by violence, it's done supernaturally and sovereignly, but it is a liberating of the will. And then Cyril of Jerusalem, he quotes him by saying, It is for God to grant his grace. Your task is to accept that grace. So God's going to hold out grace. 
The gospel appeal is going to be given to you in that grace. Your job is to merely accept that grace. Now, when you study Eastern Orthodox theology, and I don't, again, I'm not an expert in this, my, my friend Caleb would be, but I do know that they have a very uh, low view of original sin and original guilt. And so their primary argument in reading some of the stuff from Timothy Ware on Eastern Orthodoxy is that we're created in the image of God, and therefore, because we're created in the image of, image of God, we retain libertarian free will. Original sin has not hampered libertarian free will. And in a sense, we almost have the same type of will that Adam had pre-fall because we're made in the image of God. And he writes this. This is on page 218 in his book. Ware writes this. Because we still retain the image of God, we still retain free will. Although sin restricts its scope, even after the fall, God takes not away from humans the power to will, to will to obey or not to obey him. Now, I'm just giving you these quotes for you to make the judgment. Does this jive or coincide or, or, or coordinate with provisionism? So the question is, would a provisionist agree with these statements from Eastern Orthodoxy? Would provisionism agree with statements made by semi-Pelagianism? And would provisionism even agree with statements made by Pelagius himself? And the answer is, I would affirm, yes, they would. Now, does that mean that provisionists are Pelagian? No. Are they semi-Pelagian? Yes, in the historical sense of the word. I have a whole podcast on that where you can go back and look. So here's the issue. Modern day Arminians are basically saying that those that deny total inability and those that deny any type of spiritual, internal, mystical, additional, extra work of grace in the soul of a sinner is basically semi-Pelagianism, is basically Eastern Orthodox, is basically outside the bounds of Arminianism. And we as Calvinists would say, yes, it's outside the bounds of what we believe. So here's where I'm going with this podcast. Please don't label provisionists Arminians. They are not. Now, they're synergists, but they're not Arminians in the classical sense. I think it's fair to say, and they don't like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think it's fair to say historically, based upon the statements of historical semi-Pelagians in history, provisionism is historically more in line with semi-Pelagianism than any other type of theology. So as we interact with primary sources from pseudo Macarius and Kelly's book and Timothy Ware on Eastern Orthodoxy and from Arminian scholars, we come to find out that it's really difficult to kind of pin down what provisionists believe because they're more in the tradition of not Arminianism and not Calvinism, but they're kind of over here on their own. And again, predominantly stems from the last 50 years in Southern Baptist life of moving away from total inability, moving away from unconditional election, moving away from Calvinism, E.Y. Mullins in the 1920s, Herschel Hobbes in the 1960s, and then, you know, kind of modern day, the last 50, 60 years, this, this trend away from Calvinism. And, and where provisionists would say, hey, we're traditional Southern Baptists, we're just in line with what traditional Southern Baptists have believed, 
no, really what you're in line with is you're more in line with Eastern Orthodoxy. You're more in line with semi-Pelagianism. You're more in line with that theology than you are with Arminianism and Calvinism. So hopefully, again, this has been a little historical jaunt, a little historical trek through some primary sources, again, to interact with provisionism and find out a um, little bit more about what they believe and compare it to what we as Calvinists believe and even what modern-day Arminians believe. Hey, if you have any questions about this podcast or you want to contact me or you have ideas for future uh, podcasts or even want me to come maybe speak at your church or whatever, um, I'd be more than happy to have you contact me. Um, you can go to seancole.net and find all of my contact information. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. You can find me there and friend me there. Um, you can also go to the Emanuel Baptist Church website in Sterling, Colorado, and you can find my information there. So until next time, will we all keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? Jesus.